if Philip K. Dick wrote Happier Tales, would we would we be living in a happier time? Oh yeah, well you see, I think he probably was wondering that himself, right? Uh, at some point. <laughs> right. Howdy, Fox. The ghost of Robert Stack here. I used to haunt Double J's nightmares, and now I have hijacked his podcast. Hawks of the interwebs, welcome to another Shenanian infused journey into the mind of this particular garbage condud. Cam let you life slash recorded from a studio slash spare bedroom, deep in the foothills of Appalachia, directly from the number one drug overdose death capital of America, or capital of course. Now Double J will still be your pilot and navigator for this Operation GCD adventure. Where today's adventure double, Jay is honored to be joined by author and science fiction extraordinaire Wayne Matthews as the author of the Open Sanctum blog on Substack. And Wayne joins double J today for a conversation on his writings of the Open Sanctum blog. Or Wayne questions the nature of reality, provides his explanations of the machinations of the universe, and even delves into science fiction tales of a non-dystopian nature. Double J and Wayne also discuss one of double J's favorite topics of conversation, time. Not only the malleable nature of time, but also the manner in which we all individually perceive time and events in our lives. Anyhow, folks of the interwebs, thanks for joining us today to get a little GCD. All links for the host Double J and guest Wayne Matthews are in the podcast show notes. Enjoy the conversation between Double J and Wayne Matthews. William! I can ride my bike with no handlebars. No handlebars. No handlebars. Look at me, look at me. Hands in the air like it's good to be alive. But I'm a famous rapper, even when the past are all crooked D. I can show you how to do si do. I can show you how to scratch a record. I can take apart the remote control when I can almost put it back together. I can tie an island cherry stem. I can tell you about Eve Derrickson. I know all the words to De Colores, and I'm proud to be an American. Me and my friend saw Platypus. Me and my friend made a comic book. And guess how long it took? I can't do anything that I want, because look, I can keep rhythm with no metronome. Welcome to Operation GCD. Uh, thanks for joining hey. me here today to get a little GCD. And uh, I'm you're glad the to be uh, here, man. Oh, thank you, thanks, Wayne. Thanks for thanks for joining us here and th- taking the time to discuss your blog, The Open Sanctum, at uh, Substack, which I've been enthralled with reading a number of your articles as of late, specifically the science fiction, remembering the future, and the art of reality mapping, specifically. The art of reality mm. mapping. I found that deeply interesting. Again, I'll tee it over to you now to to describe some of these details and introduce yourself. And uh, thanks again here to, for joining me here today, Wayne. Yeah, well, I definitely appreciate that uh, people want to hear about this. And it's uh, you know when I talk about the concept of reality mapping, that's really uh, a response to the breakdown of consensus reality. You know, which has you, know, you noticed in recent years how people have gone down their own kind of their personal reality tunnels and it's getting harder to even have a, a conversation anymore. And uh, yeah, that's for and sure. maybe it isn't, you know, very polarizing, and, very polarizing state of, of, uh, of our society and not to inter- interrupt oh, you, but just oh to gosh, quick, yeah. quickly, quickly only, interject on what your statement, we are very polarized to what you're saying is there's never, there's not really an in between anymore. It's, it's very, very far separated in people's and folks' opinions and their points of view. And there's really no uh, discourse between the two sides. Yeah. Well, and certainly in that situation, one of the things I know to realize is that you can 
it can feel isolating and kind of, you know, increase one's sense of insecurity, wondering, sure. well, is anybody, is anybody on my wavelength, you know, and can we gain any kind, can we get on the same page? Would it be, to, and, and of course, there's the other side of it, which is that when back in the old days, when consensus reality seemed to, to exist, it also <laughs> served as a control system. It, because sure. after all, if you get people to believe the same things, ideologically or spiritually or whatever, you can control them more easily. And now we are in a position where everything is uh, fragmenting now. The fragmenting might be by design to make us seem like we're weaker because we're all kind of going off in different directions. But then again, this might also be an opportunity in disguise where you get to actually do your own personal inquiry into what's real and what is my role in the whatever this is going on here. Um, and I think that no, I tend to agree. Can't... I tend to agree with you on that point, and that's kind of the concept of my entire podcast, Operation GCD. That is the operation, is, uh -huh. is an operation into kind of reality and what is really going on here. That is kind of the general, yeah. Some of the general underlying concepts of what I'm trying to explore, and you know, I, I do that by looking into like parapolitical issues and secret societies and mm -hmm. cults to see what they're into from a psych psychological perspective what their philosophies yeah. are and yeah. what's causing their universes to operate to try to figure out what's going on here. For, for example, one such that I think is permeates culture throughout time, not just modern time, but throughout history is these ancient alien cargo cults. And I think that these, these mm. organizations, be it the Mormons, the Jehovah's witnesses, the Scientologists, all of these organizations share a very space theology of an ancient alien cargo cult variety. And they also wield a lot of power. So these are the kind of things that I'm, Generally trying to understand what's going on in their universe. It's just these are just ones, some of the examples. But because again, reality does seem very fluid, and it's seeming more fluid mm -hmm. as time mm -hmm. is kind of progressing in our current era. And that's one of the things that kind of got me into the subjects that you've written about in some of your blogs over with Philip K. Dick. And I got deep, deeply mm -hmm. interested into some of his work and in looking into reality itself. Yeah, well, you see, this is a big can of worms here, but I think we're capable <laughs> of handling this. This is uh, this is probably our specialty, which is great. I mean, I'm hope I figured nice. that, uh, um, you know, since we are kind of living in the science fiction world, uh, it there is an <laughs> element. There is an element that I cannot ignore now, which is the relationship between consciousness and reality. There is a is. It's it's the kind of thing where you can you can hear you can get bits and pieces of it sometimes from, uh, you know, the New Age or Eastern spirituality and sure. you start to wonder, OK, well, well, am I somehow participating in the creation of the reality that we're we're in experiencing and to what degree, you know, sometimes people will. Uh, make it bigger than it actually is. And there's a danger in that, you know, um, there's different uh, sort of grandiose ideas of the universe. Well, and how they're yeah, impacting yes. it I would say that, um, solipsism is probably the most extreme form philosophically. The idea okay. that you are the, your reality is the only reality 
which is kind of a strange concept because the, there are other people here, you know, right, right. <laughs> you know, then, so that means that tough sell realistically, there is at least a collective reality that we're all participating in. We're all creating it. And it's just a question to what degree and is, and of course there are all these, these folks who act like they're the, the masters of the universe the owner, you know, the people, the owning class, you might say, who think that sure. they can dictate to the rest of us what the future is supposed to be, you know, and isn't it There's weird that just recent, all of a sudden, you know, you got these people like Klaus Schwab coming out of nowhere. Who the hell is this guy who, you know, is right. telling us, you know, right. And, and, and Bill Gates and uh, the other technocrats, you know, and, and I just go, what the hell, who are these guys? You know, telling us it's what the, I always look at it like the, the Wizard of Oz. Like. These are the guys behind behind the uh, the curtain, all saying, "Don't yeah. look, don't look." Klaus Schwab saying, "Don't look at the man behind the curtain. He's the man behind the curtain." Yeah, well, That's the way I, I kind of look at those characters. That, well, I suspect part of that the elitist impulse comes from the the perception on their part that we're just a bunch of livestock that we aren't even exactly. fit for self rule. Because we're just so clear. No, Bill Gates and essentially they, says that. Yeah, I mean, those are some of. Yeah, and you know, it's at least a, a some summation of what some of his speeches. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, you know, uh, that's oddly enough, that's like one of the oldest motifs in science fiction, which uh, the whole notion that uh, that before we can get to techno utopia, we have to go through this whole maelstrom of destruction first. You know, the the mm -hmm. big world war that reduces us to rubble, and then our our wiser, enlightened benefactors come out of the come out with their grand grand plan for how to rebuild civilization. I mean, this goes back to like H.G. Wells, you know, one of the old mm -hmm. the, the original legends of sci-fi. Um, and uh, I don't know how many people even know about that film he did, based on his book. Um, the Shape of Things to Come, which was published in like early 1930s and mm -hmm. uh, then was made into a film, Things to Come. You know, and this is like one of the earliest um, science fiction movies. And it shows this entire this whole template of this is how it's going to be there. You know, have the world war and you're going to just wipe out the old order. And when everybody is like in flaming trash can dystopia, with warlords running and everything, then suddenly all these these enlightened people are just are are you know just going to come out of the sky, you know. And I don't know if there's many different scenarios of that. In the film, this breakaway civilization is called Wings Over the World, and they basically take over the joint because every you know all these um, poor savages. Have just don't sure. know what's good for them, but they will find out. They were gonna. They're the lucky ones because they're still alive. And then you know, years and years down the road, you get to see the shining city of tomorrow. Everybody's living in these sleek, super modern underground cities, and they've got their own space program because they're yeah gonna go off and colonize the universe. And it's like right. wow, it's Star Trek. It's the to it's the Star Trek. Uh, set up and basically Roddenberry sure, yeah. was one of the people who just uh, repackaged it for um, 
you know, TV in the, in the 1960s. It's incredible when you look at it that way and you go, wow. And of course, a lot of science fiction has been a response to that because after all, intelligent people are going to criticize finding flaws in this whole scenario. Like, hey, wait a minute. What is this future society really going to be like? Is that a place that we're really going to want to live? What are, what's the price we're going to have to pay to live in these, uh, yeah. you know, um, is utopia actually um, a, a new kind of high tech prison? And we just, Basically. you know, they just, right. Well, so. Yeah. I haven't seen that the utopia that, 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 that really permits liberty at all. You know, you, you have to kind of give up the concepts of liberty. Yeah. So, well, you see on the, at least on the, the, the level of, you know, what you might call the physical realm living on this planet, that seems to be what's going on right now. And the, we're kind of like, we're not even at the beginning. We're only just at the beginning of that process because we, I mean, yeah, we've had this ongoing never ending war for what more or less like the last couple of decades. And it's been I mean, relatively close low to 100 intensity. years almost, really. Well, yeah, if you wanted to like spread it, you know, but there were gaps, let's say. Yeah, we, you know, yeah we I mean, didn't have it like, went cold a couple times, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, um, but you can tell that it has had a corrupting influence that things have degraded in our society. Oh, for sure. Certainly. We, we have noticed it. People, every intelligent person has noticed. That yeah, things are not the way they used to be, and they're you and know, you can and, see that every day in San Francisco, right, Wayne? Because I mean, oh. <laughs> ten years ago there wasn't poop, human poop covering the sidewalks of San Francisco, and today, I mean, I laugh at yeah, the health well, department reports of the human feces across the sidewalks of San Francisco because it basically covers yeah. everywhere in San Francisco. Well, you know, the the, um, the stories might be exaggerated in the sense that. Um, the poop is not distributed equally. Okay. There's right. still some nice neighborhoods yeah. and I seem to be in one of them. The thing is that, you know, it's kind of like the tale of two cities. If you happen to be in the nicer parts of town, you would almost not notice that things, how much things have gone downhill. If you go just like a mile, mile and a half in that direction, then things sure. dramatically change. And this is the way cities are. And, uh, we are can only hope for those you know that it doesn't worsen that you know it's kind of like this infection you can see it very dramatically in certain places and you hope it doesn't spread and no for sure but again, it does seem very dystopian right? especially relative to what it God, used to be like in just well, recent yeah. years la la is no different la I was, mm -hmm. the last one I was in san francisco was 2019 i think the last one I was in la was december yeah. 2017 and I actually, in, in L.A., we're driving from uh, Hancock Park neighborhood into, like, West Hollywood. I was in town for mm. one of my friend's weddings there. And oh. we're, uh, mm. we're driving through uh, through town. They're looking for a barbershop. A couple of my dudes wanted to get their hair cut before we went to the wedding that day. Um, mm. You know, one of my, it was my Air Force, my old Air Force dudes that one of them lives there. And a bunch of us came into town to go to dude's wedding. Yeah. And some of them didn't get prepared to get a haircut in advance. So we're trying to scramble to find a barbershop on Saturday. So we're driving through what is normally considered a nice part of town, Hancock Park, Koreatown, West yeah. Hollywood there. Yeah. Um, sorry, East, East Hollywood there, I'm sorry, where all the movie studios are right there, like Paramount. Generally a nice right. part of town. 
there's a homeless man who's uh, pooping on the sidewalk. We, we witness, and there's a family who seem like tourists walking towards the homeless man while, while he's pooping. And then the homeless man oh. mid poop quits pooping and starts running towards the family in a very violent oh. arms and flailing in the air. We had to pull over and we were going to have to intervene. And, to, and so oh, he started man. yelling at the homeless man. He ran away, but the the family uh-huh. froze. Like the mother, father, and two small children. Yeah, they're on the sidewalk. They're yeah. just frozen in fear because there's a half naked homeless man who was pooping on the sidewalk now running at them <laughs> in a fairly uh-huh. you know affluent neighborhood of, of Los Angeles. So yeah, I would I would describe that as a fairly dystopian situation. And that was six years ago <laughs> in Los uh-huh. Angeles. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Now, the funny thing is, you see, when we get talk about how this all fits into the whole reality mapping subject, because, you know, we're we are taking in all kinds of information about the world and we're trying to make sense of it all. And that is actually that is what you would call the act of philosophy. You're trying to, you know, the trying to create a worldview that you can live by. That you can use to um, negotiate, you know, to navigate your life here on this earth. What do you, you know, and how to respond? What is it? What is it you're supposed to do with this lifetime? You know, we're only here for, you know, limited period, and then, you know, sure. hopefully, hopefully by the time it's over, we will not have a whole bunch of regrets or feeling like we wasted this opportunity, and um, so. You know, I, my own background is that I came out of, well, I, I grew up uh, Catholic because my parents were Catholic. And then uh, for sure. after, in high school, I dropped out of that and uh, was in the Baha'i faith for a while. And then uh, in college, I got into the New Age, which everybody was at that time. Uh, you know, stuff like uh, Carlos Castaneda and the Seth material and... Sure. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole quantum woo stuff really began with the, the Tao of <laughs> physics. I don't know if you're familiar. That's like, they, that really dates me because that's like, that was, a hot I'm roughly book familiar with what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. So that, that were, and that plus, uh, you know, Eastern mysticism, you know, like Buddhism, for instance, I got into sure. Tibetan Buddhism quite seriously for a while. And all of this was an attempt to try to, Take all, you know, to to try to form a view, a world view that I could that could make sense of all of this, and then also provide some sense of purpose. Because my goodness, you took you know, a pretty uh, you took a pretty wide scope at that at that approach. I like it. So you went from sort of the Catholic upbringing all the way over to the the Eastern mysticism, and and yeah. then some alien channeling in between. Well, you got to you figure that that there is sometimes you can find. Uh, uh, these common threads, you know, it's, uh, sure. and where you can see, okay, there's something, there's a pattern that you can sometimes pick up. It's not between each of these different all, philosophies. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, what is perhaps, uh, unusual, uh, for me anyway, is that I, I got some training in critical thinking when I was in college from the department of philosophy so that provided a certain amount of intellectual rigor in terms of how to, you know, how to reason. And I wish that this was actually more commonplace. It is not in our society. People, maybe there's a reason why people are not being taught uh, basic applied logic 
maybe you know uh but in any event i know that it is a limited yeah, Wayne, most folks most kids today in public schools can't read and do math so you know applying yeah. logic and critical yeah. thought is that's like a different stratosphere you know what i mean uh-huh well in any case I mean, it's, uh, it, it's sad yeah. but it's sad but true i mean that, that stuff has in a very brave <laughs> new world you know aldous huxley type fashion been been extricated from yes. the public education system yeah well, in any event, at least there are some of us still left who have a few brain cells to rub together. So we got to, <laughs> I figured that we are capable, you know, just like people thousands of years ago, people sure. basically just like us who were philosophers, they were seriously asking the big questions and trying to reason it out, also using their intuition. I mean, it's a question of, you know, when, when, I talk about the whole concept of reality mapping. Well, each of us is capable of creating our own um, reality map, which I'm using this as like a, I'm using the uh, meta navigation as a metaphor because sure. after can, all, can you unpack you know, the right? idea of the, re, re, can you, un sorry to interrupt you there, Moni, but can you yeah, kind of unpack no, the, your idea of the reality mapping? I really like yeah. what you, what you yeah, described well, if there. You ever, I don't know if you ever got any, uh, if you've had any training in orienteering about how to, if you're going, like if you're in the countryside and you had to like get from point A to point B and you had to. Oh, I'm an Eagle. You know, yeah, you, I'm an Eagle scout and, and did land nav yeah. in the military. So yeah. I, right. Well, so, we're some so, like a human compass in that, in that department. So I, I know uh, okay. I'm tracking what you're saying. Yeah. So the whole concept has to do with how do you orient yourself to your environment and use reference points because after all the you're in a world and you can see there's and if you got uh you got a compass you got a map of the ter of the terrain and you can look around and you can then orient yourself figure out sure. where you are and then where you want to be and then you go we're going that way and then <laughs> so then you know and and if only life were that straightforward we, it seems that we came into this world without any kind of user manual. Okay, so we're going to have to figure this out, and then maybe that's. I say that why, all the time. You know, I, I, no one gave me a user manual for this because you know the military is so focused yeah. on user manuals. So whenever yeah. I used to get bitched at by a you know a ranking individual in the military, that was always my go-to excuse. No one gave me a user manual for this situation. Oh uh, no! Yeah. I was just saying that's a good way well, to frame it. Yeah, go, go ahead, Wayne. Go ahead. So you figured that. You know, I can understand that it might be easier to just take a map, a reality map that's off the rack that somebody else devised, you know, whether it was recently or whether it was a couple of thousand years ago. It's, it, it, it is simpler to do that. However, sure. there are disadvantages because <laughs> supposing that map hasn't got any kind of provision for updating and wouldn't Scientology it be would good, be good to example of that. You know, I mean, the thing is that, that, you know, I can understand the appeal of having the, the sense that you're, you've gotten your hands on some truth that does not change. And then right. no matter what happens, you've got this thing you can hang on to. But maybe that's not actually what's going to be useful because in, in terms of because it, it's like reality itself is not standing still. That's the thing. If it were, it would be so much simpler. 
But the thing is that it's changing. It's the world is alive. It's conscious sure. and it's responding to us as, and it's almost like, you know, you, you know, I, I could say if you're looking at this from a, like a point of view that's outside of the human realm. Now, uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here because I do believe that there is definitely a spiritual realm and that there are other higher intelligences. And thank goodness, because we need some friends, you know, <laughs> it'd be really <laughs> tough if it was just us, you know, uh, but no, absolutely. figure that. Can, figure can, I, that, can I pause that, you real quick, real oh, quick yeah. Wayne? Because oh, yeah, I, I sure. would like to highlight, highlight a point you just made there in regards to the reality yeah. mapping and some of these groups mm -hmm. we previously mentioned that I mentioned specifically yeah. Scientology, their reality mapping, you know, that is a, it's a very unique uh, perspective of the universe and how it operates. You're talking about how you know, the universe is more malleable. Their their version of reality, what they've mapped, is not malleable. It's whatever L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, said is what goes, and it can never change. So that's mm. why I, I in, in relation relation to your work, applying it to those concepts to Scientology, that's kind of how I view Scientology as being a very very poor uh, yeah. explanation of the universe, model of the universe, because it doesn't change and it can't change by its very nature. Yeah, well, you see, that's probably the element that that fixed element is what turns it into a control system. And sure, absolutely. You ever notice how how many times in history people have come up with some really good ideas and as soon as like insights, okay, and as soon as it gets organized and turns into an institution, it's almost like it turns into its evil twin. And it's like, exactly. yeah. you know, it's like you see this over and over with religions and with ideologies. And it's like, yeah. hey, there's a pattern here. Have you has anybody noticed how often this is like very consistent? And it's almost like we'd almost be better off if if you didn't organize it to that point where things are still are kind of like a little bit. There's an element of anarchy where nobody's really in charge. And sure. then. And in a sense, you know, there's a certain faith in humanity that I'm expressing here, because if I could just as easily say, you know, it'd be great if everybody believed the same thing, doggone it. Why don't they, you know, get on the same page? Maybe right. it's actually in our at this time, maybe it is in our favor to try to actually diversify in a conscious way in terms of like each of us has our own unique point of view. We are experiencing the, we are having the human experience in a unique way. And sure. so maybe that means that we can each contribute something. And then if we're in terms of developing that, and then we can compare them. You know, we don't just have to stay in our own personal reality tunnel. We can actually share this. And then maybe we'll all like, you know, you know that, that, uh, that metaphor, the blind men feeling the elephant. You know, and they're each sure. of them feeling a different part of it. You know, one of them's feeling the trunk, the other one's feeling the tail, and the other one's feeling the leg. And they each think that the elephant is whatever that part is. But supposing they yep. were all to share that information, and then they got a bigger picture, and they realize, oh, hey, wait a minute, it's all true. It's just not what we originally thought it was. You know, and uh, yeah, they're yeah, they're all describing elements of a larger of a larger situation. Yeah. Yeah, so it, but only it's seeing like that, I said, only seeing that very unique perspective until they share the information. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm tracking. 
Yeah, the um, now when I was thinking about that whole notion of maybe it is a good thing, a that we can do it. Each of us can do it individually. We don't have to defer to some authority figure, somebody with a PhD in philosophy or theology or you know physics or whatever. We could actually figure out at least our own version that will help us make decisions that are relevant. You know, there's a concept which I think is you would you would probably familiar with it from military experience, actionable intelligence. Oh yeah. Meaning yeah. that meaning that, yes, you could know all kinds of things about a situation, but what are what is the part that is relevant to your decision making that is gonna actually that you can use because there's a whole lot of things that are true, but they might not be, they might be extraneous. And yeah, they might, have, stuff, might not have any utility. Yeah, you you know, the, the intelligent thing to do is just acknowledge, yep, that's true, but I'm going to put that aside for now. Yep. I'm going to have my reality map focus on the stuff that is going to actually make a difference in my decision making here and now. Later on, I think that's of course, an maybe that other too. information. Right. So I think it's important for you to be able to be able to, to maintain those other other concepts and principles and not not, not yeah. let them impact your, your decision and your your focus on I mean I tell you there's mapping. a lot of ideas that yeah figure this there's a lot of ideas that have been floating around in our popular culture especially in recent years and I took them seriously and I still do to a degree like you know the multiverse and uh the multiverse really took off. It had a moment, and I think it might have peaked already, and that's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> right. Because Marvel actually, that's still it. not proven. Well, yeah, I don't know. But you know what the best movie that actually summed it all up was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And I do recommend I, I just watched that I, two weeks ago, and I, I thought it was fantastic. Isn't that mind-blowing? I tell you, man, it's like an acid trip. And I tell you, that was, really uh, I, yeah. Now, the thing is that, like I said, you know, that is a, it's a powerful thing to, to see a vision like that. And I wonder myself, okay, supposing there is a multiverse, supposing there are alternate timelines, is that, how is that going to affect my decision making? Is it, you know, and, Am I going to do things any differently with my life, the one that I'm seeing right in front of me? I don't know. Right. I mean, I'll keep that. I'll keep that in the box for you know. Maybe someday that might be relevant. It might be for the moment, though. It might be more the stuff that you might talk about with your buddies, kind of like you know when you're uh, having some beers, kind of like King of the Hill, you know. <laughs> right. And uh, but it might not have a direct relevance to what you're doing, to what you're facing, the challenges that are happening right now. It, yeah. I mean, I, I wondered, I seriously gave it some thought because I mean, I write science fiction and certainly Philip K. Dick was writing science fiction that was incorporating these ideas and uh, yeah. what it might, how it might be relevant now might be simply that, observing that 
that, you know, people do seem to have their own private worlds. They're kind of reality bubbles. And uh, it's important to be able to, to notice that, take, and take it into account, because you're, we're going to be living with, you know, I'm living in a society right now, you know, in San Francisco, where I mean, I honestly don't have a whole lot of peers that are like seeing things as I do. I mean, we've got people still walking around with, with masks on outdoors. Okay. Not, not a lot. Thank <laughs> right. goodness. But it's, uh, it makes no, you I go. I see it here in my, in my know, area and, too. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I can understand. It's happening on both, it's happening uh, try, on both I, coasts. It's happening on both coasts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't, I, I don't make judgments in the sense of like, you know, I don't say anything because for all I know, people might have immune system problems. And I know sure. people who, you know, who have had real serious health issues and they have good reason to try to protect themselves. And so I don't know. I, I do not know everybody's situation. I only know what I'm observing. And, uh, um, the probably the key thing about that whole that uh, there's a concept which I added to the blog after the reality mapping part called the OODA loop. Now that the, the OODA loop, which is an acronym, that's a very military thing. Acronyms, okay? Um, oh no, yeah, for sure. I'm very, I'm familiar with the uh, OODA loop in specific from my military days. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, man, that's uh, Colonel Boyd was us air force and he had come up with this what i'd consider one of the genuinely brilliant flow chart of how people make decisions it isn't just applicable to combat situations it just happened that he was a fighter pilot and he wanted to break down this is what you go through when you are engaging the enemy and you are trying to outmaneuver them and you know get guns on target this is what you do this is what the opponent is doing as well. This is very powerful stuff to understand how to, that there is this whole chain of, you know, uh, your, the, 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 the um, letters OODA stand for observe, orient, decide, act. Now, those four stages have little feedback loops among them, too. But the, the stages really do can take place very, very fast, depending sure. upon the, you know, the tempo of the situation. And especially if it's a conflict situation where your opponent is also running OODA loops and trying, you know, you're, each of you are trying to get ahead of the other. And the one who gets, who can, can complete the OODA loops faster right. and more competently will usually come out on top, <laughs> although the things being equal. Yeah, well, it turns out that this has applicability in other <laughs> spheres of life. It doesn't have to always be about conflict or sports or business. It could also apply to your own personal response to just living. Okay, and if you're taking, you know, you're engaging with life every single day and you're taking in new information and you're trying to build that into your worldview and then, you know, you're orienting yourself and then you're making decisions and then you're taking action. And as soon as you've taken action, 
the cycle begins again because now you've changed the situation and you're now making new observations and you're reorienting yourself right sure and it doesn't necessarily like even a, need to take an action though right like it can just be you know it doesn't it can get reset even at your at your oh portion of the process you know what i mean it doesn't have to go through the mm. full cycle correct yeah yeah well it, as uh, i've seen read some good analyses of of uh boyd's ooda loop and uh the orient process is actually the most complex and that seems to be where right. the it, things become really decisive in the sense that you we may have to update or discard your previous mental map in light of the new information and you can't cling to the old mental map if it no longer matches your observed reality you have got to make your your decision might be to either update the map or discard it and start over and how sure. you know, then of course your skill level uh, in in doing that could make all the difference and i can see how you know, this is where that that tendency towards uh using your belief system as a security blanket can work against you and so as far as you know yeah because Boyd's you're unwilling to discard those old old values that you're saying because you're folks using that well, security blanket are unwilling of, to discard those when new information yeah, comes you, in you know there's a thing yeah well you see that to what makes a, um, a, a worldview useful, genuinely useful, is the fact that you can you can make decisions based upon it, and that those and then you will get better results. If you are not getting good results, if things are actually turning against you, then maybe rather than trying to force the map to be to be to, to cling to it is actually going to be counterproductive. And uh, so I would say that, uh, you know, when I look, reevaluate, for instance, the beliefs that I had about the multiverse and about alternate timelines, I go, well, you know what, maybe that stuff wasn't quite as important as I thought in the way that I thought about it. It might still be important in terms of how the, those beliefs can be used beliefs can be weaponized. Sure. And if you, you're familiar with the term psychological warfare, undoubtedly, oh, this is a psychological, a psychological warfare is a very powerful dark art. This is like the... Yeah, and, the, and in the regard like, to science uh, fiction, it seems to come from the science fiction world, right? Like science fiction writers <laughs> seem to be responsible for uh, the U.S. Army's uh, uh, instructional manuals on psychological warfare, be it Pardon me. <coughs> Pardon me there. Uh, be it Colonel Michael Aquino or um, mm. the guy who wrote the the handbook on psychological warfare for World War II, who was a science fiction writer, um, Paul Linebarger was his oh. name. He was a captain in the mm. U.S. Army. His science fiction writer name wow. pseudonym was Corbin or Smith. He was oh. Hubbard's college roommate. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So it, se it seems so, to me there's this connection yeah. between sci-fi writers and psychological warfare. So, uh, yeah, I'm familiar with the concept and it seems to be those two worlds are, are uh, mutually or not, or they exist together. They're intertwined in some fashion. Yeah. Well, clearly the you know, thing is that 
there's a peculiar relationship between creativity and uh, the control system, because uh, very often people are being, um, they're tuning in to whatever the reality seems to be and then expressing it in their stories. They may not necessarily realize that they're, that those could be part, those could be incorporated into some larger plan. They're just, you know, they could be just telling what looks like a good story. And that's what I do. Oh, I mean, well, I, can, I, you, I, can I, you go back over that way? I lost you there for about 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, figure that, uh, you know, just like all, you know, creative people generally, it's almost like they've got these antennae that are tuning in to the zeitgeist or um, oh, sure. ideas that are floating around. And then they realize, hey, this would make a good story. And maybe that's, it's as simple as that. It's not like they, they necessarily were, were recruited into anything. It's simply that they recognize, you know, hey, this is a good story. I think I'll tell it. And, uh, um, and then, but the thing is, is that the system that the society that we live in has a way of, of exploiting certain narratives and then and even weaponizing them and it might be a very subtle thing just like uh you know science fiction in general for instance has been operating in a materialist paradigm pretty much since the beginning and it's not surprising that it has gained some traction in the sense that um uh ever since the uh, the enlightenment um, there has been this trend towards um, secularizing society. And that was in response to um, the abuses of organized religion. It's perfectly understandable that, you know, and I would not, personally, I would not be in favor of trying to go back to the good old days. There were no good old days, <laughs> right. honestly. You know, and I understand, though, that some there's a that you might have noticed there is some trend in certain uh, subcultures um, to look back to find, you know, to let's say um, Orthodox Christianity or traditional Catholicism um, or ways of trying to, you know, dig through the rubble of the past for something that feels more. Uh, authentic. Well, I think that, that, and, that same process is used in, in the manipulation and control process for society because that specifically what you just described, this archaic revival has been used by intelligence agencies for manipulation of society at large. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I can see how, but it's, you can see how it arises out of natural impulses, too. I, well, mean, yeah, I can, I can see why you know, people are attracted to those ideas, yeah. And I can see why these the yeah. intelligence operations have used those specific concepts as points of manipulation because of the impact yeah. it has on yeah. people. Yeah, well, the weird thing is, of course, is that I think we're now at the point in our in, in this, um, <laughs> if you say, that, you know, if we say that there's a timeline, Right. Or a, a cycle of history. We're at the point where we cannot realistically turn back the clock. Right. And indeed, if even if we could, um, th that road would lead us back here. It would simply like, you know, like 
let's buy some time. I don't know if that was the, if that's the idea, because I don't know if you're, if you do something over, do you expect it will turn out differently? Right. See, that's the thing. I'm not nostalgic about the past. I can see how, okay, maybe it was nice that when, you know, people were better dressed when they went out, you know, something like that, but that's really, you know, or, or, uh, that it seemed that things were more orderly when U.S. senators and, didn't wear t-shirts and shorts. Uh, to yeah, votes, yeah, votes of right. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a. I, I but, use that know, as a good sure. indicator of meme world twenty twenty three. This kind of dystopian nature of our current reality, <laughs> and it's a good indicator that yeah. you know that stuff like that is going on. You know, it doesn't necessarily. You know, I'm not saying that I have any any uh, you know any <clears throat> any acknowledgement of some sort of cherished time in the past, but that is a good kind of indicator mm. of how things have evolved in this kind of state of reality that we're currently in. Yeah. Well, certainly one of the things that, that, um, when I, when I look back at, at, uh, you know, what science fiction particularly has envisioned, because after all, there are numerous different visions. Some of them are inter interlinked in the sense that you can see how there are motifs that recur again and again. Sure. Um, and uh, different, it's almost like uh, they're like commentaries on a, on a, on a general narrative. And uh, like, for instance, people make comparisons between uh, Brave New World by Adolf Huxley and um, 1984 by George Orwell. And sure. the funny thing is that I recognize what I, my take on it now is that 1984, that particular kind, that flavor of dystopia, which is not quite, it's not quite flaming trash can anarchy. <laughs> right. It's more like the, the period of degeneration where things are obviously tyrannical and clearly nobody seriously believes that good times are just around the corner. Sure. And we're not quite there yet, but that's a, that's not meant to be a permanent thing. It's a stage. And that phase is part of that whole, you know, that degeneration phase prior to that brave new world. The brave new world is the, is what's supposed to be the relief, you know, the, the, the cavalry coming to the rescue. The utopia. Providing us with, oh, you know, yeah, for those who are who are still alive, okay, right. It's right. not. Well, it's, it's, I don't think that anyone should. You see, it's a utopia. It's not. It's not necessarily uh, uh, what most folks would call utopia, but it is utopia, which kind of the elites, I think, that how they envision it. I think that was kind of all the Huxley's point in, in selling that brave new world concept. Yeah, and I think yeah, you, you've kind of um, touched base on that with transhumanism as a whole, considering your your coverage of uh, Julian Huxley's brothers statements as one of the original transhumanists. Yeah. In the blog, I had um, done a whole series about uh, transhumanism and mind control. And then that, uh, and more recently uh, science fiction as it relates to transhumanism, which uh, seems to be the, uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong though. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, the yeah. brave new world concept though, right? Isn't it a very transhumanist style concept? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the notion that uh, you can modify human nature, right? That you can—that's the key part, really. And you can talk about it in terms of adding technology, 
like cyborg implants, or you can talk about it in terms of eugenics or and or um, genetic engineering. Sure. And there are so many different right now. I mean, the the projects that are happening in plain sight are kind of mind blowing when you realize the implications um, in terms of, you know, uh, finding um, uh, more precise control through genetic manipulation. Um, to, and you can, and in fact, you can sell this as a kind of therapy and that's very, you know, of course th there will be a huge market for people who need uh, better therapy for whatever ails them, you know, I mean, it kind of already is though, it. right? This stuff is kind of already being sold as religion and therapy with folks like the terrorism movement who's one of the run by and started by one of the, the current leaders in transhumanism, uh, Martin Rothblatt, who in the hmm. inventor of Sirius XM, who invented this whole philosophical religious movement, you know, based on these transhumanist ideas of Octavia Butler. And it just seems like, it just oh. seems like it's, it's the melding of these previous concepts, right? So like, this is the representation mm -hmm. of how this mm -hmm. has evolved, melding these previous concepts of a brave new world and, and the transhumanism that was that was uh, parroted by you know, and created by Julian Huxley, Aldous's brother. Yeah, yeah. The, well, yeah. The curious thing now is, um, you know, given that there are many different projects in progress. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Some of which, and I should emphasize that some of these could have genuine benefits. That's it's a mixed bag. Sure. I wish it, you know, it, it, was, it would be so much simpler if you could just say, well, it's all evil and it'll all lead to bad <laughs> results. It could happen that there are, could be some actual benefits for people who are suffering right now with all kinds of neurological or psychological ailments that presently we cannot treat adequately. Right. It's just, a, if it's, that's I guess the case. The consideration is the cost of, of those benefits, right? Yeah, you see, that's the tricky part. And I can see how, you know, some folks might, depending upon their circumstances, they could be facing a difficult decision in terms of what, you know, supposing you have an issue that is so pressing, that is so where your life is not even worth living, but somebody's offering you some relief, right? genuine relief. And wouldn't you... Wouldn't you seriously consider it? I mean, I couldn't. Uh, it's the Faustian bargain, I suppose, somebody. right? You know, yeah. Well, <laughs> you see, there's the thing about, and again, I, I mean, uh, this will come up. Uh, the story that I'm working on right now, the reality benders, has to do with a situation very like that. Um, I don't, the uh, the basic premise. I'll try to keep it brief, like the elevator pitch. This is a story focused on a, um, a veteran who has severe PTSD. In fact, he is suicidal. And he has gone to Burning Man because he heard about a new psychedelic drug called Epic, okay. which could be, could be his salvation. And it, he gets involved with a, an organization there, which is making its debut called The Bridge, which is a, a sex magic drug cult. Oh, okay. nice! The, now you're talking. The, now you're talking my language. When I like sex magic drug cults, <laughs> so, not that I yeah. want to join them. I just like learning about them. 
Yeah, who makes well, them you tick? Know, yeah, well, you see, one of the peculiar things is that part of me is going, okay, have I just inadvertently stumbled upon something real? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Possibly. I don't know. Somebody, you know, I, I, I just... Excel, right? He did the same thing, right? He stumbled on stuff yeah, that was real yeah. and had intelligence saying well, put him in a loony bin in yeah. Canada, right? At one point. Yeah, well, in any event, I, you know, hopefully if just the deep clear, state is hearing all Canada. this... <laughs> in, yeah, well, <laughs> I got to figure. Okay, so far the deep state has not contacted me yet. <laughs> and hopefully... We'll just be able to work something out right. where I don't have to compromise myself too badly here. There I mean, you go. One of the weird you things you don't want to go the way of Philip world. K. Dick and wake up in a loony bed and not know how you got there, and you know, it would yeah, how the story went. Yeah. Though supposedly he got too close to an actual intelligence agency narrative. <laughs> I believe that's how the story's supposed to go. Well, and you know, they there was a thing off, where remember he, off the he, he had. Uh, he had uh, had a situation where uh, somebody broke into his home and blew up his safe and stole his papers. And he was wondering, what the hell? You know, and, and then he, for a while he was wondering if he did it himself. <laughs> and it's like, holy cow, you have to be pretty far gone to consider well, that. that. That's, but, the result, that's the result of gang stalking, right? I heard uh, an interview between his wife, uh, Tessa Dick, and she interviewed a, an, uh -huh. an author that I, I like uh, his work. And he did a... Uh, Book on gang stalking in the technocratic state, uh, Robert Guffey's yeah. Camilio. And she, yeah, Tessa well. Dick, inter interviewed him about that and was describing to him that when she was reading his book, she then realized what was going on to her and Philip K. Dick and, and back in the uh -huh. 70s. So, yeah, that is kind of the point of some of those operations is making the person dr driving him insane where he's thinking he actually blew up his own safe. Yeah, that, yeah well, in any event, uh, hopefully, you know. Things have progressed a bit since then. <laughs> I don't have to necessarily go down the same road. Yeah, let's hope. Because, sure, you know, yeah. the thing is that here's the interesting thing about this whole notion of, like, supposing you were looking at the human condition from outside of it. Mm -hmm. This is something that – this is only something mm -hmm. that I started doing since, uh, you know, I don't know if you – are everybody kind of has heard about the whole concept of some kind of, like, a guidance or some – you know, you might have an advisor uh, that is like on a higher plane of like a, a spirit guide. Sure. Or, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm definitely self, with concepts. using terms like that because it's so cliche. Okay. Yeah. I use the term <laughs> inner guru maybe because it hasn't been, you know, it hasn't become popular. You know? <laughs> and so I hope it right. doesn't has, because I, you know, I always have to make up something else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that, you know, the new age is They're like very higher self, right? full the of these age. kind of, well, you know, the weird thing is that, that, you know, how that this is like an old, this is like an idea that has been floating around ever since the X-Files or even before then, that, um, you can conceal a lie between two truths, sure. you know? So you were all like dealing with, all of us are having to deal with this kind of like truth and lie sandwich. And it's up to us to try to figure out which is the truth and which is the lie and just kind of like scrape off the lie. <laughs> right. And, uh, right. And, and the new age is just like that. I'm sorry to say, I mean, I wish yeah. it were easier to figure out, but, um, now I just like, look at the thing is that, yes, there are almost, there is a spiritual realm and yes, there are intelligences that I would say are, you know, they're part of an, a hierarchy that, serves the creator and i'm one of those you know but if you take a look at if you're talking about 
reality mapping, there's a huge difference between um, acknowledging that there is a creator and not. And that if you're, you can have a perfectly functional worldview that does not involve a creator. And there's, you know, millions, if not billions of people out there who, you know, have been proceeding on that, sure. that uh, assumption. It's an axiom in the sense that it is not something you can prove one way or the other. Right. If it were provable, if you could logically prove that there was a creator, then it would all be already be common knowledge, wouldn't it? Yeah, there wouldn't sure. be any. Right. And so but then I think that would that would then negate and nullify any sort of internal processes in which of feelings and perceptions. Yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah, part of the game, right? It's part of the game. There it is, is an axiom. You can't prove it. I would say that uh, it is perhaps if we look at this as a game, and this is in a positive sense, not <laughs> right. a trivializing sense, right. because I'm a, I don't know if you've been through a phase where you were a gamer. I certainly have. I was, you know, through the '90s and uh, early 2000s. I was like one of those guys who was like, you know, I was playing military simulations. Okay, sure accumulating all kinds of non-transferable skills you know <laughs> no i mean i understand the, so, you know, the game theories i'm big in like board games and card games over, over my life yeah so i'm i'm, yeah. I'm a i'm a an assassin in any sort of board game or uh card okay. game. we're on a firing well, range with an actual with an actual yeah. gun but i never really yeah. got too too big into the video gaming even even though like the video games were obviously big during my teenage years with sega genesis and stuff like that yeah but, it just never anything that yeah, I really right. got into too much, but I I understand the concepts of game theory that the reason why folks get into video games like that. Yeah, well, you see, it's just uh, one of the things that I suspect. This is just a like an inkling, okay? My my inner guru is <laughs> I like that present. Term. Yeah, I like that term. Okay, <laughs> he's kind of like he's kind of like the my the roommate who you know lives in my head rent free. Okay. Right. And, but it's, it's okay because occasionally I get some really good info and, and sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes I'm still like, you know, one of those people who wakes up at 3am. Okay. And I've just kind of, okay, I'm listening. What is it this time? <laughs> right. And um, the thing so, is that. The, so the inner kind of has a wider sc scope of, of, uh, of perspective then, right. Is what you're saying. They, they, yeah, they, see, well, they, see, they see time throughout for an example, they see time throughout all of these universes, these multiple. Yeah. Well, my current interpretation, and this is just an interpretation because after all, you know, we're humans, we're very, you know, our, right. our language is very limited. Sure. But one of the ways of looking at it is like, uh, imagine if you're the, your future self and especially your future self after you're dead. Yep. Now, wouldn't you think that maybe that, version of you would be a little more clued in about how, th you know, the For life, sure. life, the universe and everything. I like to think so. And, uh, certainly when it, when my turn comes to exit, you know, to shuffle off this mortal coil, I'm definitely going to try to, you know, have a few words with the management, you know, I got some questions, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but no, I, I like that. I like that concept. It reminds me of a book I read that was written about a hundred years ago in regard to how this British aeronautical engineer named J.W. Dunn 
conceived how he was understanding time and how he was understanding mm. his future self mm. was something he was tapping into his future self on a, you know, in his sleep, these prophetic dreams he was having weren't really prophetic so much as wow. he was tapping into what he would know in the future, but he knew that uh-huh. in current time because this, this subconscious self was not operating on the same linear timeline fashion. Yeah. He, he was oh. trying to decipher his dreams that way. And that's how he deciphered his dreams that he was simply tapping in to something he was going to know in the future. Dang. Okay. Well, you see that, that sounds very familiar. You know, that is, and, uh, that's uh, kind of like what, that's kind of the similar kind that's how your inner guru would then be per- the perceiving time as well. Right. Like this whole, yeah, well, this whole concept you know, of the one inner of guru the, would be perceiving time in that same, yeah. the same manner. Right. Well, one of the things that, you know, figure this, that there's a whole lot of folks out there who, you know, I have to be careful because if I'm, <laughs> I'm as far as I'm trying not to give advice yeah, right. because people are in different situations. Some exactly. people have more, more mental health yeah. issues than it's, I do. Some people okay. digest that, the advice you give them, that information in some strange manners. So yeah, I understand. Yeah. What you're yeah. I mean, this is why, you know, sometimes it really is good to have, other people to talk to, even if they're normies, because, you know, <laughs> you, you got to compare, compare and contrast sometimes just to stay on an even keel. And one of the things I realized is that, okay, um, the, uh, one of the things I had, a, you know, this is like a strong intuition that my inner guru is not going to tell me everything all at once. Okay. Because it would be almost too much. Sure. And there's a thing about if you're on a mission, maybe you just want to have the stuff that is relevant to you right now. Right. For where you're at. And you just have to trust that later on you will get more information. Get some more downloads. You know, and that's like, okay, okay. Supposing, you know, think of yourself as an operative. Yeah. And like, you know, what do I need to know to complete the mission? Yep. Then you go, okay, understood. And then you just go, okay, what? Do, and, and luckily, thank goodness, I could, you know, here I am. It's like, I have no idea how many years of life I had I have now, but I cannot assume that it's like unlimited. I just have, hopefully, enough time. And what do I have to know right now right. to make good decisions? And uh, the... Uh, you know, and it, it's like um, I could tell you a few things about my own, you know, the worldview that I've concocted, but I don't necessarily want to sell this. Right. No, I'd love like, to hear it. You know, yeah, if you like examples, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see the. Everyone can either believe it or they cannot believe it. I don't give two fucks. But I am telling you right now, that motherfucker, that motherfucker back there is not real. One framework you could use to look at it, like we've got this. Did you, you know if you if you saw the film um, The Tree of Life? by Terrence Malick. That's an excellent example of mm. an expression of a view where there's a, there's concepts, which I did not really, that did not fully sink in when I saw the film until later. And I'm not hip to that one. But, I'll have to watch that one. Okay. 
Okay, so, I tell you what, man. This is like, your it's almost like I'll take it and I'll watch that film because it sounds like it's got some. Yeah, some yeah. Well, concepts. if you see the, if you see the, the thin red line, yep. and then the tree of life, you will see that there's a thematic connection between oh. the two. Even though it's not like it's not like the tree of life is a sequel. Right, 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 right. But it is more like a deeper exploration and it's exploring uh, some of the same concepts is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And one mm -hmm. of the things you'll notice is the concept of the way of nature and the way of grace. That's how Malik expressed it in the tree of life. Now the, the way of nature is what my inner guru had referred to as the multidimensional ecosystem of consciousness. Okay. Now that sounds like a whole lot of syllables, but <laughs> really is. everybody knows sounds like we need an, an ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. M E C. Right. Okay. Multidimensional ecosystem of consciousness. Got it. Okay. So the, the key thing is, though, that in an ecosystem, it's like nature. Okay. Nature is the, the one that we can see all around us. Sure. And, and the fact is that nature is a, like a, uh, has no top or bottom. Nobody seems to be in charge of it. It seems to be running on automatic that's for damn sure and and it has this whole cycle of birth and life and death and everything just and it seems to live by energy exchanges and the most obvious one is eating one creature sure. eats another is usually involuntary right okay too bad for the one that's getting eaten inhaling and but exhaling how, inhaling the oxygen yeah. and exhaling the carbon dioxide right yeah and really, in this world, you know, you might call it the law of the jungle. There is no, it has no need for ethics. Yeah. The whole notion of right and wrong, yeah. or good and evil just doesn't even apply. Yeah, Mother, Mother Nature doesn't and, understand you know, man-made laws, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, even though I do, you know, feel a certain reverence for nature. I don't necessarily think that means we should be emulating it in every d degree because then we would be amoral. Sure. And there's another element. There's another thing that, you know, I was, that was, I was not expecting to hear this, okay? Because I had left the Catholic Church a long time ago and did not even think I was ever going to be revisiting concepts like a hierarchy of creators. Oh, yeah. That's the... That's the thing that goes, it's not just the ecosystem of consciousness. There's also this hierarchy of creators. And if you were looking at things in linear time, the creators created the ecosystem of consciousness. That is, there's a creation, there's a creator and a creation. These, this distinction is really crucial. And I don't think, if, you know, if you just had one and not the other, you would not have, in my view, a complete a reality map. Now, there's obviously a lot of baggage that goes along with this because of thanks to organized religion. And, uh, you know, that whole phenomenon of all the good ideas get corrupted, you know. I mean, heck, I wouldn't go back to the Catholic Church now. It's a, I'm sorry to say, it's still yeah. a haven for pedophiles. No, I hear you. I, I grew gonna, up, you know, well, it is that, words. that's for sure. I grew up and, Mormon. They're, uh, not much, they're not much different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but the thing is that if we say that there is this, and, and the, the key thing about the hierarchy of creators is that it does not live by the law of the jungle. It does not, it, not everything is transactional. 
And that's in the in terms of like sentient beings. You'll notice there is a difference between pure generosity and people making bargains. Like you give me this and I'll give you that. Right. Right. That right. that whole thing about and there's I no altruistic like, wow. nature to that transaction when you're yeah. When and you're if you think about now, of course, the the key the exception, at least I hope it is a common exception, is uh, parents and their children. Well, in, a, in a in a in a in a proper world, in a proper world. you don't have <laughs> yeah. in a proper world, parents and children do not have to engage. You know, their love is not transactional. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's given freely without limit, without conditions, right? That's uh, how it oh, should be. Sure. That's, that's the right. way it should and be, so that's, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that, in, in, a, in when we talk about, uh, you know, what, say the Godhead and that whole, if we wanted to create this whole hierarchy that everything flows down without limit, without conditions, and uh, that's a really powerful idea. It totally, you know, the, the contrast between that and the ecosystem of consciousness is huge. And uh, I don't know if, you know, I don't know how much, uh, you know, you're, I know that you, you did you come out of a Mormon background? Yeah, I grew up Mormon. I, I yeah. Remember. So I, uh, okay. I, was, uh, I don't know if they have angels. Do they have angels? They got angels. Yeah. In fact, one of the, one of the main characters in Mormonism is angel. Um, uh, Moroni. Okay. That's the character yeah, that's on top of the sequel. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. I sh- yeah. He's the guy that Sorry, delivered uh, Joseph Smith the book, the the Golden Plates. I'm a, I'm a graduate of the Mormon Seminary, so I've, I'm well versed in okay. the theology of Mormonism. Yeah. Well, forgive my ignorance. Yeah, no I worries. mean, I just didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to assume too much. Okay, but that the yeah, they whole actually notion... have a hierarchy of angels that would almost substantiate claims that they're not Christian whatsoever. But hey, that's just me. Yeah. Well, you know what? Tell you what, man. Did you never notice how hierarchies on Earth? The, the human power structures seem to be like this kind of cargo cult imitation. Absolutely. No, that's the that's 100%, yeah. Did you yeah. notice? I mean, I just like hit me like, a, you know, like a two by four and going, holy cow, man. And maybe for all we know in the afterlife, we might be like discover that we were like the enlisted men. And the angels were like the officers. Nice. Wouldn't that good, be funny? That's a that's a good uh, analogy. You got there. Yeah, I like it. And now, uh, hopefully, hopefully they don't have all the same, uh, you know, drawbacks as our military. Dear God, I just, yeah, like most but, officer uh, corps, they probably have a better mess hall, and that I am jealous of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, here's the thing. You know, if supposing we all, you know, depending upon how far, and this is getting me getting kind of like out there on a limb. Okay. Right. Just indulge me here. Supposing that no, in like our it. after, like in our afterlife, we get our debriefing and we've discovered we have some opportunities for promotion that we didn't have before. You're we didn't talking to know about. This is Mormon theology. You know? You're describing right now, Wayne, is Mormon Mormon afterlife. Oh dear. They have a hierarchy well, of well, heaven. <laughs> yeah, well, supposing yeah, well, supposing you get the opportunity, you can be a senior non-com. There you go. Yep. Or you could, or you could go to Angel Candidate School. Yep. <laughs> no, that, the, what you're describing right now is Mormon Heaven, right there. That's precisely what it oh, is. Oh dear. There's three stages what of the it. Hell? Okay. So who knows, man? Maybe there's some <laughs> truth to it after all, man. We'll, well find out, right, I guess. Right, for sure. Yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. funny. That's funny yeah, though. That is a very. Uh, it's a good. That's a good analogy. The way you describe the 
the more the, the precisely yeah, that is what well, you described you know. as the Mormon afterlife. <laughs> that is, yeah, there's really no hell in the well, Mormon afterlife. Uh, you know, it's just any different case. layers of heaven, right? Different layers of heaven. And some, yeah, of, them, some of them are nicer. Yeah, well, hopefully the, officer, the officer mess hall has a way nicer yeah. mess hall than the enlisted corps mess hall. But obviously the senior enlisted corps yeah. have a nicer than the junior <laughs> enlisted corps. So there's always a hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah, well, for all, you know, I know that there's other systems inside the Christianity anyway that have these rankings. Oh, like, yeah. You know, there might be like, uh, you know, like the you've got three classes and then you got three ranks within each class, you know, and you got your seraphim and cherubim at the top of that. Sure. And they go, okay, maybe they're like, you know, it's kind of like officers, you know, right. they've got your lieutenants and captains <laughs> yeah. and majors and colonels and right. And it's like, you know, you know, the generals aren't going to be talking to you, right. You know, you're more likely to be talking to lieutenants. Some lost captain, yeah, some lost captain at best. Right, right, right. And, uh, you know, the, Not the an able captain, an of, army or air force, a marine captain, because the the exactly. naval captains are yeah, of course yeah. colonels and yeah. other you know they right. they have their own they internal hierarchies con- they got to be particular about. Yeah, well, it very well could be if you know we're taking this now. Okay, we're we're just like guys hanging out having beers like King of the Hill here. Okay, tell <laughs> right. tell so, so, you know we don't have to. Nobody has to take any of this seriously. Okay, but. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a science fiction writer. I got to do this. This is like what I, you know, this is my thing. So, but you know, the, the whole notion of like, we're gaining experience us, we human beings, we're like, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. You know, we're the ones who get our hands dirty and we get, you know, and even though it might seem like, my God, we might look around us and go, does anything matter? You know, does any, does our lifetime, does this lifetime mean anything? You know, we might have our moments of despair like that, but sure. it t- might turn out also that what we're doing is actually really important. You know, that's generally how and, I, how I, what I find to be the case whenever I'm in those kind of through those stretches where it doesn't, it's not apparent at the time, but over time it becomes apparent that that was an important yeah. stretch, stretch of experience. Yeah. I mean, I think about my dad in World War II because he was like, in occupied the occupied philippines meaning that you know he could be he was in danger and his family was in danger the whole the whole war from 1942 to 45 and you just go wow yeah no some you have to have a vision that keeps you going in times like that and there's people who have you know have suffered even more than that you know, and you, well, hopefully we don't get tested quite that hard, but right. you know, I got to figure that, that whatever our ancestors went through, well, if they got through it, then we probably can too. If that, if it was ever any doubt, you know, that's, I, lo- I like uh, to look at it that way too, that I'm somehow the, my DNA is the collective, you know, uh, DNA memory of my, of my ancestors. And as a result of them being able to achieve whatever yeah. the trials and tribulations they had achieved, that's already ingrained in my DNA. Yeah. How about that? I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a wondrous thing. I, I consider life a gift. I try to remember that every day because I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe this is an opportunity that even the angels don't have. There you go. You I, know? Yeah, for sure. Cause they don't really. have a material body and, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, 
our experience might actually be of some genuine benefit once we get to the other side. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, so, I mean, I, I, even though I could say, and then lots of people I know have said, you know what, once I'm out of this world, I ain't never coming back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I understand. I totally understand. It's like, you know, um, but it might help to not be too attached to that scenario just right. in case. Well, Sean okay, Connery because, famously uh, learned the, le the wrong lesson there by saying he'd never do anything again. He told his wife he would never play James Bond again. So when he uh, played James Bond again later and never say never again, that's why he entitled <laughs> it that because he had previously told his wife he would never play James Bond uh -huh. again. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, well, in any case, I, I figure, um, you know, when I look at what our situation now is as far as getting out of dystopia, one of my, I have my own kind of mission at the moment, which is how to create new visions that are different, really different from the materialist visions that we've been fed all our lives for the whole past century of sure. science fiction. Because after supposing, supposing we had science fiction, or at least maybe it'd be called something else, where you actually had the spiritual realm, you know, as an active part of it. Right. Okay. This would be really something radical. I mean, right now, you might know that, you know, that maybe the closest thing we have to it right now is where you have this kind of uh, supernatural horror crossover. Okay. You know, where you've got, you know, the dark side. Yeah, the yeah. creepy stuff coming in from other dimensions, like Stranger Things. You know, you got these, yeah, yeah, these monsters a... from the down under, right? Or the upside down, sorry. Yeah. And uh, That's a good example. And you go, sure. Yeah, well, there's probably a good reason, maybe, you know, I mean, I'm not going to... Uh, I, I know that because I've worked in, with Hollywood, I know that it's very easy to s see that, oh, yeah, Maybe it's all run by Satanists. You know? I, mean, <laughs> I mean, really, it's very right. easy to get to that place. No, I've been there. See, I know what you mean. You... Okay, and I mean, uh, it's a very—that's too simplified of an answer. Yeah. Well, in any event, people know what sells. Yeah. And they know what that you push certain buttons, and people will respond. And then the, usually the the lower frequency ones, which all have to do with fear and anger and hate and lust all the you know all the deadly sins yeah, exactly those yeah. are the those are, hollywood can push those buttons over and over and people continue to show up and pay good money for this is that why the kardashians and, are still on tv well <laughs> i mean really man it's like they hit uh, all those buttons it, don't they Wayne? <laughs> it, it, it really does seem like you know that hollywood is part of that whole mind control system where oh, yeah, they're trying sure. to they're reinforcing the idea that, hey, man, you're, you ain't divine at all. You're just a bunch of two-legged livestock. Well, all and these – You start believing that. All these right? materialist ideas of, of science fiction that you were, you were mentioning that, that yeah. have currently existed in, uh -huh. in science fiction up until now, those are all, those are all yeah. further promulgated through Hollywood and the stories there. For example, Isaac Asimov comes up with the idea of the rocket and then – Later, a rocket is developed and invented, right? But it was first a, a yeah. piece of science fiction. And that's been promulgated, yeah. I don't know how many times ever, through Hollywood films and fiction. Yeah. yeah what? This I idea of space travel. Your... Arthur C. Clarke expanding on that with the whole idea of space colonization and travel. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be nice if we could just figure out things on this planet before going anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, I just, uh, okay, Hollywood at least understands that, um, you know, the dark side sells. Sure. But, and the problem is then if you try to introduce the other side of it, meaning the, you know, there's like, imagine this kind of like um, this spiritual axis. It goes in both directions. It goes up towards the Godhead and down towards you know where. Right. And the Satanists. If you were introducing the 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 higher side, right. meaning the you know the enlightening side. Heading towards the Godhead. Yeah. And would that be would it be possible for that to actually gain any traction in our popular culture? I don't know, but I'm I intend to find out. Yeah. And uh, if I have to, you know, um, hopefully I will start out with uh, self-publishing or getting things into science fiction magazines a little bit at a time. Yeah. You know, no, I think timing is everything. The, I think 20 years ago, the science fiction world would not have been prepared or the society, the general concepts of society were not present for, for that yeah. to be successful. But where we're at now and to this dark dystopian kind of downfall of society of western society i suspect that it is time for something something of uh, science fiction of that nature yeah well for all we know it might have to go by a different name but it wouldn't you know i don't necessarily want to just be preaching to a particular you know a tiny sub you know segment right you know one of the things that happens is that uh there's like these different uh, literary ghettos, you might say. And, you know, science fiction is like in one section and fantasy is in another. Sure. And faith-based is and they don't, yet another. And they don't cross over and, well, do they? Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm just going, you know, there, there are at least a handful of authors who are trying to um, break out of yeah. these, these narrow uh, definitions of what speculative fiction can be. And uh, so, so this is your reality mapping to, is trying to yeah, break well, out of well, these specific genres into a more broad spectrum of genre. Yeah, well, certainly one thing we've I could say based upon what we have seen in the past century is that uh, just cautionary tales uh, are not enough. We've already had all the cautionary tales we need about the future we should not have. Sure that we should avoid. And yet we seem to have, instead of turning away, we've just been heading straight towards it, <laughs> right? which is so, just insane. Well, but, you're, what you're proposing you know, is we're actually manufacturing that dystopian reality through promulgating these unless ideas. There, yeah. Unless there is an alternative right. vision, right. you see, and that's where, that's the thing that was lacking. We did not have. I'm tracking, I'm tracking with you, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Now in, you know, whether or not, this is actually going to permeate popular culture at this stage. Uh, who can say? So is, is this why you think Philip K. Thing. Dick was, was so accurate and some of his, so, so prescient in some of his ideas is that uh, he's in a sense uh, helping bring the ideas that are being implanted in his, in his brain to, to create his reality mapping is somehow is simply just, you know, kind of, pushing things into that direction, right? Like, so it's like a, you could say it's a, it's a third party motivating force to push towards this materialistic kind of negative dystopian future. 
You see, yeah, what, you see, what, I'm, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? With like, if Philip K. Dick wrote Happier Tales, would we would we be living in a happier time? Oh yeah, well you see, I think he probably was wondering that himself, <laughs> right? Uh, at some point, <laughs> right? And uh, I have no doubt because, because after, some of the stories get kind of dark. Yeah, well, there's a thing about the whole notion of prophecy. If sure. you're if you're creating, if you're expressing a vision are you actually helping it to come into being by saying it? And Precisely. this is one of those things that's, that's that I saying. just go, well, okay, let's step back a moment here and just to examine that because, uh, you know, it's not, it's not you alone. It's, it, it has to resonate with people enough that, uh, because it, and it isn't necessarily a cause and effect thing either. I mean, it, um, one of the best illustrations of what it might be like to view things outside of linear time is um, a film by Chris, Chris Nolan called Interstellar. Are you familiar with Interstellar? Oh, yeah, I am for sure. I love Christopher Nolan okay. films. Okay. Now, there was a scene where the, the astronaut played by Matthew McConaughey, uh, he is, after, you know, after he goes through that whole black hole experience, he finds himself in a what's now known as the Tesseract scene. Right. where he is literally looking at his own life moment by moment in the past. And he's actually moving through it as it, it, it is actually expressed. Sure. Spatially, like he's actually moving through a time and he can actually look at his own, the past, uh, look, peering through the bookcase, which right. I thought was a brilliant, brilliant image. Yeah, for sure. But he cannot change it. He cannot change it. And it is agonizing. I mean, I just, you know, that was one of the most moving parts of that whole film. I agree. Realizing yeah. that he was like calling out to his daughter, stop me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and because he, but it, and then again, it happened that he also realized that everything that had happened was necessary. It had to happen that way. And he did not get to change any of it. Right. And this is a powerful thing. You know, and this is a question for you. Know, so, Those concepts, question well, for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, if we wanted to to explore that topic, and this is something, by the way, this is directly ties in with that whole issue of mind control. Sure. Because you can one of the things I realized is that the materialist scientists, sorry, that's a lot of syllables uh, <laughs> and a lot of sibilance there, but. Um, the, the scientists who are now working on brain research to try to understand the, the mechanics yeah. at the very basic, the, the cellular level, how the mind works. The quantum level. They're, the very basic. Yeah, well, let's just say the, the most measurable level of, level of physics that we can, the, we can the, currently attain. The level right? of neurons. That's the part. Yeah. As far as below the level of neurons, sure. there is not yet any agreement. However, people <laughs> say that you can certainly uh, um, track the way that neurons fire, the way that neurotransmitters jump across the synapses and, sure. uh, and all that, and that you could correlate patterns, these little, you might say, these microscopic lightning bolts that arc across your brain. You could correlate those to specific mental states and emotions and perceptions, all of that. The people who are doing that uh, often come to the conclusion that free will is an illusion because you can, all you have to do is apply a few volts of electricity 
in specific places with electrodes and you can change what somebody thinks, mm -hmm. feels, and perceives. Sure. That's rather a, a startling idea. And in fact, even if you know who um, Dr. Jose Delgado is, he is like one of the <laughs> You read pioneers. my mind, Wayne. That's what I was going to say, the uh, physical control yeah. of the mind, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was the pioneer, the guy who, I mean, not, not yeah, back new. in the 50s, totally analog technology. Exactly. Okay? He was putting implants into uh, animals and even people and, you know, operating a little remote control. And the videos okay, are available literally. on YouTube. You can actually go out and watch it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now you can imagine, you know, he inspired a whole generation oh, of for sure. scientists to follow in his footsteps. And they are the ones doing the brain research right now. Sure. This is not a, something I would say that it's not necessarily an evil thing. It has evil potentials, depending upon how it's used, just right. like all technology. Well, water but can it be does evil. Call into, it calls into question, though, what does it, you know, what does free will mean? Sure. What does determinism mean? And, uh, and I've contemplated this question quite a bit. Because it's uh, the one of the things that it, it occurred to me is that it might not be an either or in terms of you either have free will or you don't have it. It might be a spectrum. It might be like this, you know, there might be a whole a gradation between having between free will and determinism. Is that, is that based on circumstances? And, so some circumstances you have more 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 fluctuation with free will. Yeah, and some well, circumstances yeah. less if, fluctuation. If I were if if I were um, looking at it from the uh, the Buddhist point of view, which uh, I you know studied under some very fine Tibetan lamas, the that position might be expressed uh, as those who are not enlightened do not have free will. They might think they do, but they are actually being controlled by their karma. And that, that, that makes a certain amount of, that makes sense if you actually look at karma as cause and effect, just plain old car, cause and effect, which is an impersonal force. It's like sure. gravity. It's like, uh, if you, you know, if we think about ballistics, yep. okay, gravity acts upon the projectile. Yep. It's very predictable. You could actually calculate where an artillery shell is going to land. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? It's, yeah, it's every every it's, round it's, has the trajectory it takes a it hits a certain peak, it's a, a certain distance, yeah. and a certain height. Yeah. And, here, and so. you can and and the thing is that the projectile is completely well from our point of view, it is unconscious. Sure. That's why gravity works in such a predictable way. And mind control techniques yeah. are intended to render us more like that projectile. Where no, our that makes sense. That actions makes and sense. our responses are completely predictable. Okay? You, yep. you can just, you know. And so the, the those more, are the unenlightened and, and Buddhist, Buddhist principles, the unenlightened are being impacted by these other forces, whether consciously yeah, or subconsciously. And, well, much like the projectile is impacted by the gravity. Yeah, and and uh, figure makes, no, that, makes sense. you know, yeah, and and of course, you know, each of us, of course, we are living in our own circumstances, our own with our own personal histories, and that will, and that in large part determines 
some of the 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 our, the turning points in our life, like the for arc instance, of our own trajectories. Look, look at yeah, I mean, for example, you could just look at what has happened to our society just in the last three years because <laughs> yeah, of the pandemic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and you could see people have had to make a choice. It was like a the road split. Yeah, and you're either going to get the jab or you're not going to get it. One of the many that subjects would... of polarization in, in this country in recent years, the jab. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, you live in a very polarizing time. And in any case, if it happens that, in from this point of view, that moving towards enlightenment gives you more free will because you're more conscious, then obviously that kind of like you know makes becoming enlightened kind of a high priority sure um now how much effect that's going to have you know sometimes you know i could one could say if you were looking at things in terms of you know if you become a bodhisattva or if you attain full enlightenment now i don't know anybody who has attained full enlightenment <laughs> honestly at least not at least not in terms that i could recognize and go, yeah you can tell person, me you've never met a scientologist clear Aren't they they gone full enlightenment? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, funny thing, man. Funny thing. We got the Scientology headquarters just down the hill from me. You can just go a few blocks that away. Nice. You got the 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 local Sea Org? Yeah. I mean, I have not, yeah, I've not gone in to get tested. You know, they got those e-meters or whatever to hook you up to. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> um, what was I going to say here? Um, you were talking about yeah, you've never I mean, met someone who's fully yeah, enlightened. Yeah, right. Well, the thing is, though, that uh, at least if you if one imagines that part of our mission, if I mean, I'm not going to even say about anybody else's mission, actually, because for all we know, we may all be here for different purposes. Right? I only know yeah. that. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Everyone's got okay. their own mission, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but if it happens that that moving towards enlightenment and moving towards and also recognizing that you actually are part of this hierarchy of creators which is serving the, serving the godhead and uh, you know we could talk about the godhead like theologians if we wanted to like okay you know father son holy spirit i don't know if that stuff even resonates with some folks out there but you know it's yeah that's that gets complicated but Let's just say we know, let's say if you if you take it as a given that there is, whether it is personal or impersonal, this universe did not just sort of pop out of nowhere for no reason at all. Um, that's a that that position is really, you know, you cannot really reconcile that with the uh, the other the opposite position. Yeah, I don't I don't really is, think the universe is an accident through like a Big Bang operation, you know. It's yeah, a wild, it's a wild I mean, thought. Yeah, but you see, it's a at the same time, it's a leap of faith. Yeah, you know, you just have to acknowledge faith. that you know other people believe differently, and the from their point of view, they have good reason to. Yeah, yeah, and and we're just going to be coexisting for the foreseeable future. I mean, I don't, you know, some folks might like to think that there's going to be some parting of the ways, and you know. I don't know what that means. Does that mean there's going to be two Earths and we're going to be living on one Earth and those folks are going to be living on a different Earth? I don't think so. I'd be surprised. 
I'd be surprised. Yeah, that right? sounds too convenient. Okay. More likely, we're just going to actually uh, be learning from each other and learn to get along. And, and you know, um, there, I suspect that one, I don't know if you have your own vision about, and here I am asking you questions. I don't know if you have your <laughs> Come own Come on vision down. About, bring, bring, bring on the questions, about, Lane. <laughs> about whether... You know, I mean, people could say easily right now, oh, yeah, we're living through an end of empire period. But sure. um, are we actually heading towards an end of civilization period? That's a different story. And then is there yeah. going to be a new, a new civilization to replace, take the place of this one? That's a big one, because if that's the case, then when we think about the long term, we're thinking about, future generations that are building the next civilization. Sure. That's a heavy responsibility to think about. It's like, oh, wow, supposing that's exactly what's going on. I think in a sense it kind of is because we've been living in a false manufactured reality for, you know, at least a hundred years in the Western culture. Yeah. I mean, it's almost kind of charitable to call this a civilization. Exactly. Exactly. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. So in a sense, we kind of are coming to a point where we're going to be rebuilding a new civilization because we lack one. Yeah, currently. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess the question then is, is it going to be like, um, you know, digging out of the rubble? I mean, is it going to be like some physical destruction? I mean, we've had, yep. all had these visions and goodness knows we even had a whole bunch of disaster movies. Can you imagine how many times San Francisco has been destroyed in disaster movies? I mean, I was oh, thinking for sure. about from aliens to hurricanes to earthquakes. I mean, yeah, the entire yeah, you Western got giant seaboard. monsters <laughs> yeah. demolishing the Golden Gate Bridge. It's usually the Golden Gate Bridge that goes first, right? And uh, and there was this movie with the Rock, uh, San Andreas, where you yep. got this That's giant tidal of, yeah. wave and just wiping out. You know, I actually had a dream once about a tidal wave right outside here, just taller than all the buildings just wiping everything out yeah. like, wow man is that just a metaphor i i you know i don't know if i'll be around for it honestly but i do think that people do get this feeling something big something big is uh, is coming i think it's, i and think that i would agree with it i, I kind of not only personally feel that i can kind of see that amongst different indicators in society for example just this week mm. Um, mm. One of the largest strip club owner uh, corporate corporations in the uh, in the country just reported their earnings down ten percent, uh, you know, oh, year over year. Dang! <laughs> Hang on here, I'm going to turn you on know, some lights. You know it's bad when when the strip clubs are are, are losing money. You know what I mean? When they're reporting oh. negative earnings. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's who knows? a strong indicator that things are going south. Hmm. Yeah, well, I maybe mean, you know, folks might get on the barter system eventually. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the thing what is all this means is just the, the things that are going to exist in the future are going to be substantially different than the current existence of institutions and programs that exist now, or the way we address these things. I think, in a very Greek apocalyptic nature, that you know we're going through that that kind of that apocalypse. Yeah. Well, yeah that that whole notion of well, it's, uh, certainly. A part, big part of the process is uh, understanding that 
um, the world, the, our whole system, the whole society is uh, depends upon illusions, right? The illusions that control our minds, including money, which is specifically like money. The, yeah, I mean, the illusion that this you know, piece of paper is worth a hot dog, or yeah, a hamburger, well, yeah, or, or a gallon of milk. There seems yeah, to be a strange was, lack of transactional equalness there. Yeah, well, the whole notion, the very notion that the work that you've done, whether you've made something or performed the service or whatever, and that it could actually be preserved in some kind of, you know, uh, tangible form or just symbolic form, really, sure. because after all, it could just be totally like uh, electrons in a computer. Um whether it's uh, cryptocurrency or, you know, stocks and bonds or whatever form. Or just regular Federal Reserve currency it, notes, because <laughs> most of those well, only exist yeah. in, in computers. Yeah, I mean, these really, you know, it, that is like one of the biggest magic tricks. It's a magic trick. It's absolutely a magic on, trick. Yeah, for you sure. Know? <laughs> and, and I just go, wow. Damn, how about that? The, you know, I mean, look at the dollar uh, bill. It the, looks like a magical talisman. It's got all sorts of symbols on there. Yeah. Well, and, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, this piece of paper has been blessed by the treasury wizards. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's exactly what it <laughs> so, is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's the difference between this piece of paper and that piece of paper. And it's I think like, that's a know. concept that's, that's going going by the wayside, like in our society. That concept it, in and of itself, yeah. the intrinsic and nature of, of a monetary system mm-hmm. having an intrinsic value. It's something we're going back yeah. to. We're going to be, we're understanding yeah. the negative aspects of the fiat kind of currency, the lack of intrinsic value of these, these paper yeah. dollars, these well, magical talismans. Yeah. And I even, and I'd go so far as to say that even um, the, the, the tangible stuff like gold and silver is simply in the more ancient form of that illusion, you know, because after all, it's only human beings Sure. That believe in the value of these things. And, you That's know, a good point things, because aluminum used to be worth more than gold, and look at aluminum now. I mean, it's not uh, even comparable. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean, to the value of gold. Yeah, well, it's it's a state of mind yeah. ultimately that determines what something is worth, and it, as it happens, as they as other people have said, you can't eat gold and silver. <laughs> right. You know. I mean, ultimately, it's an it, you, you can know, turn the, the you can turn is, gold gold into food, but you can't turn food into gold. Yeah, well, <laughs> is that what you're saying? Well, the, <laughs> the thing is that it, it, what matters what matters the most depends on your circumstances. It might very well be that under in really dire straits, a loaf of bread might be worth more than a bar of gold. No, you for see? sure, especially like. So, the, Weimar Republic of Germany, you know, that kind of, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So, so really, um, it almost, it's almost for me anyway, it's almost better to, to not get too hung up on, you know, what, wh- what's the best investment? Where should I be putting my money? Should I, you know, I mean, people can try to make themselves safe, but this might be the kind of world in which nothing is truly safe. And then you just have to accept, oh, th- the world is, filled with risk it's filled with danger i might die in fact for sure you are gonna die (laughs) oh my goodness you know and then you you know then you kind of have to take that brave heart attitude like oh yeah 
every man dies, but not every man truly lives. What you gonna do? What you gonna do before you die? That's the stuff that really matters, isn't it? I mean, so. Um, no, I think it's anyway. spot on there, Wayne. I think that is the stuff that truly matters. I always look at, I'm, I live life to live. I don't live life to avoid dying, you know what I mean? And it yeah. is that kind of that same yeah. concept you just described. Yeah, and that's the thing that when it comes to individual decisions about whether or not to, to make a deal with the devil, so to speak, to um, supposing, you know, to gain entry into that shining city of tomorrow, the techno-utopia, you'd have to give up some part of yourself, your own, you know, your own integrity. And would you, you know, would you have the courage to say no? And if, you know, if it just, you knew in your heart that this was actually, this was actually the wrong move, not just for you personally, but for humanity in general. No, I think that's a and, good way to uh, kind of circle back there. I think that's a great, great way to frame that too. I mean, you are giving up to, to into this utopian society, this technocratic utopian society, these transhumanist cell. I think that is an important factor. You, In order to subscribe to that, you are giving up the self, the identity of the self, the liberties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there is, there are examples in history before that are kind of like echoes of this, uh, this notion of, um, and the, the power of the individual choices that accumulate, you know, it's not just you, but you know, if you make a choice, there's probably other people making the same choice. And um, if you ever, there's a book that I don't, you know, there's a lot of books out there. Okay. There's and a lot. There's definitely a lot of cautious books. about recommending books. And I, and I think that there is one that stands out, just come, came to mind. Um, they thought they were free by um, Milton Mayer. Uh, this is about the Germans in the third Reich period, 1933 okay. to 1945. And uh, um, uh, Mayer had gone to Germany and interviewed a whole bunch of regular, you know, run of the mill Germans in a town to talk to them about their, what life was like under the third Reich and their own attitudes towards it. And it is remarkable to realize that they had in their own way, um, had adopted a mindset that rationalized everything that was going on. Sure. It all seemed to make sense to them then that life was good, at least until the war started. And uh, this is a rather, it is astonishing to realize that, you know, we're not that different. No, People not like at all. to think that we're better than the, than the Germans were in the 1930s. But when you look exactly at their the same, mindset actually. and look at the, re yeah, and, and you realize, oh, this is actually a pattern. <laughs> right. It has it happened is, yeah. before. Yeah. Okay, sure. and so the, they thought they were free is really like, well, that, even though it's not fiction, it is a, definitely a cautionary tale. And uh, so, yeah, if it's in the libraries, thank goodness, it's it's available for anyone who wants to read it. And uh, that's, it, a, that's, it's a great, an that's a great comparison. I think there you made there, Wayne, that is, I think we are in a very similar yeah. circumstance right now, so. Yeah, I mean, and, and goodness knows, there's 
one of the things I'm hoping is that we don't have to repeat the same lessons over and over again. That's huh. the thing about the, that's the thing about the human experience that gets right. kind of tiresome. I've got to say, you know, if we're going to make mistakes, do they have to be the same ones over <laughs> and over? Can we possibly make some new ones? Right. You know, no, for sure. I mean, uh, and I think that's why I kind of yeah. really think there's a lot of value in the statement of those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. Yeah. Well, Wayne, I, I appreciate so, uh, I appreciate a lot of these thoughts and the metaphysical nature of our of our world and sort of the uh, how it relates to the sci-fi aspects and specifically the reality mapping. But if I were to ask you yeah. to leave us with a, with a few statements here today, what what uh, what do you think? What kind of closing statements do you think you could offer us, Wayne? On, oh, geez, on these man. subjects. That well, we, you know, the wide, the wide spectrum of subjects <laughs> we've covered here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly. Um, some, one of the, the really basic things that, you know, then I think that one of the, one of the trends that has been demoralizing, seriously demoralizing sure. to us in this time is that is the fragmentation, the sense and the fragmentation that is, I think it's been deliberate, the, the sense of, you know, that of turning everybody into atomized individuals mm -hmm. who are now like cast adrift and they're all kind of pursuing their own ends. Sure. And, you know, we're not passive. We don't just have to submit to any of this. We're actually, uh, you know, and situations like that um, call upon our innate creativity. Each of us is capable of, of original responses. And I'm not even going to say what they ought to be. Sure. You see, that's one of the things that, you know, I'm just trusting that uh, there is a divine order and that it all kind of works out. Well, that's know, the journey of each individual, always... is it not? To kind of decide and decipher their own their own purpose, not to get yeah, not to get too polemic, yeah. do as that will and find your purpose type type, type philosophies. Yeah, I mean... well, you see, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean there's certainly um, there's certainly a lot of pitfalls. Absolutely. Um, you know, especially, you know, because there is this. Part of the um, one of the things I'm careful about is the whole notion of you know um, following uh, false light because sure. there is a thing about how you know and again this is like psych basic psychological warfare is that your adversary is trying to look like your friend. Sure. This is something that you know uh, this is uh, something that one has to. Um, and then that's where your intuition has to come in because sometimes it's not going to be obvious to your senses or your reason. And this is, again, this is where I'm trusting um, a, a higher intelligence that is, or actually is that, uh, you know, people will make mistakes. This is, they all, they always do, but uh, um one has to allow for that, I guess. And, uh, yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm just, but it, it sounds like that's kind of what your, your focus in, in of your sci-fi is, is this enlightening kind of spiritual metaphysical aspect into science fiction. And it also, yeah, well, it also kind of sounds like that is your own version of finding your specific purpose and then creating yeah. a more, a less dystopian future, if you will. Yeah. Well, it may turn out, and that uh, just like you know, we've examined, if we examine history on the personal level, not just uh, the larger scale, of sure. things, but just individual levels, 
um, we're like we're all like links in a chain, and what might appear to be a mistake in one person's life could actually become like a catalyst in someone else's life. So it, in that larger context, what looks like a mistake on one level might actually lead to a breakthrough on another level in someone else's life. And then the, 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 um, the necessary causal chain actually, you know, it might look haphazard, it might look chaotic, but actually there might be a deeper order behind it. Again, this is like a leap of faith here. I don't Isn't that kind of a Buddhist it, you know. principle? Isn't there a Buddhist kind of uh, story of uh, a farmer who... Uh, oh, they, oh, very good. There you go. Very good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll defer to you for the, the yeah. specific details because I'll, I'll butcher it otherwise. Well, well, we certainly can, we can say that uh, what looks like uh, misfortune on one level might actually turn out to be good fortune on another. That's and, a good summary. Obviously. That's a good summary. Okay. And it's in the field of time that things start to start to make sense. It might be a longer time scale than our own lifetime. That's the hard part. You know, you True. might not, if you're happening to be doing some good in this lifetime, at least what you think is good, you might not see the results of it in your lifetime. That's something that like, okay, you just have to accept that. And I, I have to accept that too, you know, uh, just like Philip K. Dick did in the sense that, you know, he didn't start to become well known until later in his life. And then, you know, and then he had his, you know, spiritual breakthroughs. And then like about 10 years later, he was dead. That's a you good know? point. Most most of his That's films, like, he never lived to see them be made into Hollywood films. Yeah. Most of his stories. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, if he's still around, I can't say whether he is or not. In some form, I hope that uh, he's okay with it. That uh, he could, you know, we could all, we should all be able to look back in our lives and say, actually, that yeah, it had some pretty miserable parts, but it also turned out okay. I, I guess it, it turned out. You know, it it mattered after all, you know, just, oh, like, for sure. the, the, just like the, you know, imagine all the, the people who died in battles. They didn't get to live to see the victory. Right. But they actually did their part. That's the key part that they did their part when it was needed. And then people came after them and won the victory. I guess that's how it, that's just how it is. Yeah. No, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, there's something about that, you know, I'm not saying everybody has to be on the, you know, the the way of the warrior, but uh, uh, some of us can at least understand, yeah, there's something important there. It's, uh, you know, and it has, it's not the same thing as, uh, let's say, the military system. It's different from that. Sure. Uh, it's, so anyway, um, I guess uh, I'm I'm ready to call it an evening. No, those, if you're, those are some great closing words, Wayne. I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me here to get a little GCD today. And uh, you're always welcome man, back it, for another future conversation. I love exploring these topics and I'm looking forward to reading oh, more of the blog. I tell you, man, this has been a very uh, unique experience. I'm very grateful for this. And I'm also grateful to anyone who's been listening. I hope this has made a difference. Absolutely, um, I, I think it has. Wayne, I think, I think you've, you've left some, um, definitely some, 
some imparting thoughts in my, in my, in my brain to toss around and, and some ideas to look at. So I definitely appreciate that. Oh, okay. Far out. All right, Wayne. Well, until next time, I suppose. Thanks again. I appreciate your time. Well, that's it. That's the show here, folks. So the next time you're out on the town, visiting your local watering holes, or perhaps just meandering around, and you hear the unmistakable sounds of metal clanking, and you spot signs of a disturbance, well, check your six. Look in that garbage can, because you never can tell. The GCDs may be loose in your town. (laughs) 